0: Good morning. Here we go. I had to turn that thing on. Uh, today in the service, the the there's like a, a row missing in the front. You guys are so far back. <laughs> Maybe two rows. I don't know. Uh, they set the chairs up for us here at Storm Grove, and what a wonderful relationship we've had for five years. We'll be here for five years this October. And so I said, that's exciting. I, somebody asked me before the service, and they said, is this our last Sunday here? <laughs> now that's excitement. That's enthusiasm. That's forward thinking. I love that. Amen. No, we will be here longer. Uh, uh, we, if, if, if things go well in the meeting today, and we vote favorably towards the property, then uh, we, we have to wait for the closing. And Right now, it's scheduled for up to December the 8th, but uh, that's predicated on them getting everything out of the building and uh, and 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 moving everything off-site that's outside. And it looks as if they're moving faster than than we thought they might. So it's very likely they could move the closing up. So that's that's exciting, you know. Uh, how many of you are excited about the possibility of having a permanent home? Vero Bible Fellowship, amen. Just think about it. Those of you who help set up and tear down the platform every single week, listen, most of us have no clue how much work goes in to have this service. Everything on this stage, everything over to the side, these speakers, everything has to be torn down weekly, everything. The only thing that's left is a bare stage. And then they have to set it up the following week. And that goes on for five years. So I know that no one will appreciate a permanent home where things can stay in place all week, like the sound and the lighting and those folks who do all the setup and teardown. And then children's ministry as well. They have to set up everything. Over in the media center. We even have a classroom in a glorified hallway. It's wider. And that's where they meet. It's just so much that goes in, and the labor that so many of you have given, uh, just serving God through the local church. Thank you for all of that. And we've got a few more months to go, okay? So don't, don't, this is not like, okay, you've done your job, you can stop now. No, no, please don't. In fact, others want to help, we'd love to have, we'd love to have your help. So, but it's just exciting. So, amen. All right. I, I don't believe uh, people keep asking, do we have to wait 30 minutes? And the, the, the main focus uh, in our hearts as we put that time frame together was we know how important it is for those to fellowship afterwards, and especially our parents of children, they go over and they just hang out. They don't, they don't, they're not in any hurry to get home. They like to talk with one another and share and the kids play and stuff. So we just didn't want to, to mess up the fellowship that happens. So um, we'll, we'll uh, play that by ear today. I, I think, you know, we said 30 minutes, and if everybody's here and ready to go uh, and they've cleaned out the, the media center, uh, then we might move it up a little bit, so that, that would be nice. The meeting itself probably won't, ha- won't take more than 20 minutes. Uh, we had a wonderful meeting on Wednesday night over at Church of Christ where we have Wednesday night Bible study, but instead we just used that time Q&A regarding the purchase of property and so a lot of wonderful questions were asked and answered. It was a it was a good full house of folks who came out and I think it was a very positive experience so we're hoping that maybe uh, many of the questions have been answered already. There is, uh, Deb do we have the sheets in the back? We have like three documents, uh, two documents rather, I'm sorry. One is a front and back page, the other is a single sheet and it just has general information that you might be wondering about in the purchase of this property, and you can pick those up after service in the back. That gives you something to read through before the meeting starts, and it might answer questions that you were, you were hoping to get an answer to. So uh, that's, that's all of that. Let's, let's, let's move forward in this service of worship. And I've got to tell you, uh, the last two songs really ministered to me personally, really ministered to me. And uh, everybody in this room goes through times of trial. Is that not true? We all face trial. We all face things that uh, come up in front of us that maybe we didn't expect or whatever. That's just life. And it is so wonderful to know that God is with us and he is holding on to us and he will bring us through. Amen? That's the truth. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that you are part of this fellowship where we've seen over the years uh, those moments where difficulty comes our way. You know, the loss of a loved one of our church, a saint that just the Lord calls home. And all of us feel that gut check. Oh, because we love them so much. And, and so that just ministered to me. It really, really was good. Today, I want to finish out our series choosing to be a healthy family. This has been a topical study. Uh, topical in the sense that we chose the subject. Not topical in how we look at scripture. We we allow scripture to unfold and unpack before us about that particular subject. Normally what we do at Viral Bible fellowship is a verse by verse study. So I will tell you that next weekend will be a freestanding weekend. It's not connected to a series. It's just a Sunday that we'll get up and and preach, you know, blow in, blow up, and blow out. Okay, that's that's what we hope to see happen next week. We're gonna have a good time, but but uh, the following week on the I think it's the 10th. Uh, that's when we will start a study from the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and. Uh, I've been working hard on that, took some time to get away and do a deep dive in that study, and I am so excited to preach that series. But today, we want to finish up the choosing to be a healthy family, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the word family differently than the last four weeks, okay? Uh, I want to use it in the context of our church family, choosing to be a healthy church family. And I want to focus this message on a group that is often forgotten in the church family, okay? That group would be the singles, those who are single in our church. They're out of high school, um, and they are not married, and that is a range of many years. I mean, it can be somebody who's 18, 19 years old. It can be someone in their 60s, 70s. They just never married, or their spouse passed away, and so how we view people who are single. This group often gets left behind in the discussion of home and family because they're treated as in-betweeners. You're in between high school and marriage. And unfortunately, that's how many married people view them. You've not arrived yet. And, and married folk often see the single folk as in between school and married life. And when, when are you going to finally join the ranks That's what people think when they see a single person who's maybe getting a little older. When will you join the ranks? Uh, It it creates socially awkward situations. Uh, And we wonder, you know, are they ever going to have the wonderful joy of married life? Where are the amens on that? (laughs) (laughs) Truth be told, single people find themselves on a broad spectrum. Everything From pining to be married, as if life doesn't begin until they reach this milestone. And then there are those singles who find meaning and fulfillment in being single. And and so you've got got those two extremes and everything in between. If the truth were known, some of those married folk wish they were still single so they could return to a simpler life especially if you're having an issue right now in your marriage. Amen? I mean, let's just be honest about it. I nobody here is going to shake their head yes because you're sitting next to your spouse. You ain't about to do that. And, and and I'm with you. You shouldn't. But 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 don't tell me there's not moments that you haven't thought, man, it'd be a lot easier if I was single, to the point that you look over at such and such who's single and go, man, I'm envious. They've got it easy. And they really do, compared to what you're having to to. Be in order to be a spouse to someone. It's interesting how the things we don't have, we assume others have. And the things that we do have, no one else wants. What's sad is when the church follows the world into this destructive line of thinking. When the church reflects the same degrading stereotypes about singles as the culture around us. When we cease to give every member of the body their rightful place... And we relegate them to some kind of a subpar, sub, you know, you're sitting on the bench, when are you going to get in the game kind of a thought. That's not the case. That's The church should not be like that. And so we want to look at how, what it looks like to be part of a healthy church family and how we treat single people. And this isn't just for the those who are not single of how you should treat single people. It's also for single people. This is a message for you. Uh oftentimes we base our thoughts about single people on Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so we look at certain people and we're like, uh, uh, God doesn't want you to be alone. It says it right there in the text. So why haven't you found somebody fit for you? There's somebody fit for you. You need to find that person. And we put pressure on them as if that's what they're after. And many times they're not really looking for that. Maybe it's a season of their life and they know, I, I'm not given to looking for a spouse. I'm focused on the Lord right now. Maybe they feel that singleness is their gift. They're not looking to be married. They're not being tempted uh, to sin with physical intimacy. And they just enjoy the single life because it gives them more time to serve the Lord. And here we are trying to pressure them to be something that we think uh, fits their future. So there's great truth in that passage about finding a suitable helper, that, that, but it doesn't speak for all the verses in Scripture. And so I, I want to take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. That's where we're going to focus. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as the Apostle Paul speaks to the church in Corinth about marriage, about divorce about singleness it's all here we're not going to cover all of it but we're going to cover the aspects of it that deal with single people and how they are uniquely wired and different while they are in that that status of single and we as married couples and those who are widowed and older and those who've had a marriage listen we need to respect them where they are and be supportive of them where they are And if that single person longs for marriage, we should pray for them and with them that the right spouse, the one who's suitable for them, will come along. We want them to be able to wear their suit, amen? But there's others that we need to back that prayer out and say, no, that's not the prayer for them. They they really just want to know how they can serve the Lord as a single person. We should join them in that. Listen, church, we should celebrate that, amen, and not put pressure for them to fit our stereotypes. So let's understand what Paul's saying here. First Corinthians 7 1. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man, <laughs> excuse me, not to have sexual relations with a woman. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now let's understand what he's saying here and what he's not saying, okay? He's saying that it is it is good not to have sex with a But to be single and celibate, that's a good thing. Single and celibate is not a bad thing. It can be a good thing. However, Paul isn't saying that it's the only good thing. Nor is he saying that it is even better than marriage. For many, marriage is the better way. For some, single is the better way. In Genesis 2.18, just write it down if you would. But let me share this passage with you. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable. That's the passage we read earlier. And he also goes on to say that a man uh, will leave his father and mother and cleave to himself a wife and the two shall become one flesh. And, And so why did Paul say that it's better for a man... Not to have sexual relations with a woman when the scripture seems to point men towards women. Well, there's only one reason. Look at verse 2 in our text in 1 Corinthians 7. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now let's review that quickly. Paul is saying that being single is good and for some folks it's even better than married life. If you number 2, if you have an uncontrollable desire for physical intimacy with the opposite sex, then find a helper fit for you and get married. If you cannot control your thoughts and there is lust in your heart, you need to get married. That's what Paul is saying. Why? 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 Okay? Number 3. Because sex was never designed by God to be enjoyed by single people. Let me say that again. Sex was never designed by God to be enjoyed by single people. That enjoyment is to be found in a husband and wife. That's God's way. Certainly it's not the world's way, is it? But it is God's way. And that is the standard for believers and and so interesting too if you go back and look at the text but because of the temptation to sexual immorality each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband he does not in any way shape or form indicate that a man looking for a man or a woman should look for a woman god is very clear here he is talking about the original design for man and woman God is the creator of marriage, not the world, not the sciences. God created marriage, and God created male and female, male and female. And marriage is about a man and a woman coming together, uniting. And marriage has a purpose. Did you know the purpose of marriage is Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul said that it is a mystery Marriage is a mystery because it speaks of the relationship of Jesus Christ to the church. Christ is the head. The church submits to Christ. What did Christ as the head do for the church? He died for her. Therefore, the, the church submits to Christ. In marriage, it's a picture of that. The man is to be the head in the home. He's to be that one who carries headship Spiritually. And the woman comes under, hupotasso, you come under that headship. And and it's a beautiful thing. And why would a woman come under the headship of her husband? Because he will do anything for her. He will sacrifice his life for her if necessary. Just like Jesus sacrificed for the church. That's the picture of the original picture of marriage that God designed for us. The world has no clue. When they say, I do, they have no clue what marriage truly in the foundation and its origin is all about. We understand that. And the point is that if you're single and you're pining for physical intimacy with someone, you need to get married. Uh, In my ministry, I've had it where people who were in a physical relationship as singles and they came to my office for counseling about the relationship, not thinking they were doing anything wrong. They were just new believers. They didn't know better. And I said, are you married? No. Well, let's back up off of this issue of communication that you're having between the two of you, and let's deal with a deeper matter. God designed it. Here's what God said. You need to be married. You need to stop right now today with any physical intimacy. You, sir, need to move out of the house and, and you need to pick a date to get married. And I've had him say, can you marry us today? <laughs> and you know what I've said? Yes. <laughs> Truthfully. Now, I share the gospel, and I share foundational things about what Paul is saying about marriage. I want them to know what Ephesians 5 says. But I'll marry them right there on the spot. Because I don't want them living In sin. And that's what it is for a single person to engage in fornication. And so Paul is very clear here. To fall to the temptation of physical intimacy before marriage is to fulfill a God given drive. Sex comes from God, not man. Man did not design sex, man did not come up with the concept. It was not something that was just instinctual from, you know, a Big Bang Theory or anything else. God clearly designed it. Adam saw what God created, a helper suitable for him, and he said, this is very good. And Adam was really excited, and he started singing a song, man. He was happy when he saw Eve. God designed that. But to fulfill that God-given drive, To have physical intimacy with one other person that you're married to that is a beautiful thing but often what happens is we fulfill god-given drives in god-forbidden ways that's because satan always tempts us with the bait you don't have to do it the way god said that's how he tempted eve to partake of the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's what happens. We give into a God-given drive in a God-forbidden way. And let me just tell you, when you do that, nothing good can come from it. Let's say in six months you get married, and you say, okay, now we're, everything's good. But you still have those, those those emotions that are inside of you of that period of time that you were not, doing it God's way. It, it can it can linger. God forgives when you ask him to forgive you, but you have to deal with what you know you did. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? And it's not just in the area of sex. It can be in any area. There's many drives that God has put in us, and oftentimes we fulfill them in a God-forbidden way. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, turn if you will back, verse 18. Here's the forbidden way. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or her own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Now let's qualify here. Paul is speaking to the saints at Corinth. He's speaking to Christians specifically. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, you're not saved, the Holy Spirit does not dwell inside of you. Your body is not a temple of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? But those of us who are saved, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price so glorify God in your body. Your body doesn't belong to you any longer. If you're, if you're married, it actually belongs to your spouse, but that's because God designed it to belong to your spouse. It no longer is you calling the shots. You say, I'm not saying that you just, whatever they want, they get. I'm saying that it's a mutual responsibility to one another to care for one another's needs. And needs are different between men and women. And all the needs, both men and women's needs, need to be cared for. Amen? Amen? Amen. Somebody over here is really amen and loud on that one. I like that. That's good. Thanks, Steve. Okay. (laughs) Okay. uh, I lost my place. There's things you have to give up. If you're going to be married, you you have to grow accustomed to a different lifestyle than when you were single. It's just a a drastic change. Drastic. And God's going to bring you to a point to see that. When you're single, God God has all of you, And, and He has you 24 7. You can serve God anytime, anywhere. You can go out, you know, at 8 o'clock at night, go to Burger King, get a burger, and then you see some guy sitting there on the side of the building, and you can walk over and sit down and start ministering to him. You can sit there for three hours and go home whenever you're done, and nobody's going to say, where were you? You have no one to answer to except God. And then you get married, and now there's responsibility beyond just you. Now you have to be responsible for someone else. And that's God's design for marriage. It's not supposed to be that after you're married, you get to act like you're single. Okay? Uh, I'm going to give you four freedoms that singles can enjoy. But inside the marriage covenant, these become your responsibility. Okay? So while you're single, there's freedom from duty. Freedom from duty. Go back to our text. Look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband this is the way god's plan for marriage to happen you belong to each other okay it's a duty it's an obligation the you know what the king james says it's a debt you are indebted to your spouse okay the idea that we should meet our sexual responsibility to our spouse now as singles we don't have to consider the cost of having a physical relationship with someone, and it's much broader than meeting the physical needs of our spouse. We're freedom. There's freedom from duty. But duty can include several things. Let me give you three things that duty can include. Number one, provision. Single men, whatever goods and services that you require as a single man, they will change drastically when you are married. renee went out yesterday and had a pedicure. I can promise you, that if I were not married to my wife, I would not have any expense in my checking account for pedicures. In fact, it's likely that I wouldn't even know what a pedicure is. Okay, but as a as a married man, that's part of it, and there's no complaint on this part. They look nice. Her feet look nice. She's got them done today. It looks woo-hoo. But if I were single, I'm not thinking about that. Okay. Here's a question for some of you single guys. What is a doily? <laughs> now, if you worked in a restaurant, you know what a doily is. But if you didn't, you don't have a clue. If you're married, you will know, at least you will hear about doilies. What is a comforter? And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. What is a comforter? I'm not talking about a, what is a cooling blanket. If if I'm a single man, I'm not going to know what a cooling blanket is or how to use it or why I need it. But if you're married, at some point in your marriage, a cooling blanket is a very good thing. There's the difference. Services rendered. They're different when you're single than when you're married. Another thing, not just provision, but freedom from, there's protection that you have to consider. It's a duty to protect your spouse. When you're single, there are things that you do without thinking, like walking along a secluded, wo- uh, you know, wooded area, walking along a path. As a single man, you're not worried about that. But when you're walking with your wife, you're looking out for her safety. You're not going to take that same path. You're going to try to find a park that has a nice open path with some lighting. You cha- it changes how you approach things. You have to change. That's your responsibility in marriage, and it's a good thing. It's good that a single man would not be the same after he's married, but he changes. And it's good for a single woman to change after she's married. As a father, your responsibilities are much different than a single person. You're now tied to a deep relationship with your child or with your children They are your responsibility, and you don't... Listen, a loving parent does not see that as a problem. They love their children. They want to be responsible for their children while they're little. Amen? They want that responsibility. And yet, you can't always protect them. You can't always protect your spouse... A single person doesn't know that pain. To have a spouse that's facing some trials in their life and you can't fix it. To have a child that's going through pain or suffering or even death. Nobody knows that pain like that parent. A single person does not know that pain. You're free from that duty. In the book Tortured for Christ written by Richard Wormbrand. He speaks of Brother Florchescu, a pastor who was thrown into prison where they would send large rats through a tube into his brick-walled prison. He had to fight off these rats every single day, every single night. Eventually, they brought his 14-year-old son into the prison and began to whip the boy in front of his father. They said they would continue to beat him until the pastor would give up and say what they wished to hear, basically renouncing Jesus Christ. When the pastor could take it no longer, he cried out to his son, Alexander, I must say what I must say what they want. I can't bear your beatings anymore. And the son answered, Father, don't do it. I can't live with the injustice of knowing that that I have a traitor for a parent. Please, if they kill me, I'll die with the words, Jesus and my fatherland. This enraged the communist, and they beat the child to death. Brother Fles- uh, Florescu was never the same after seeing that. A single person doesn't get that, and neither should they have to. They're free from that. Being married is a whole different game. It adds responsibility and duty to your life when you have kids, when you have a wife, when you have a husband. So there's provision, there's protection, but there's also purity. Purity. In the covenant of marriage, you now have to protect your home from impure things where you might watch a war movie with graphic scenes and foul language, now you protect the purity of your wife and kids. Now you measure everything that you do by those for whom you are responsible. Your entertainment you protect. Your spending you protect. It all changes. This is why so many marriages end in divorce, believe it or not. Because as singles, we entered marriages without considering the cost of having a physical relationship with another person. We never considered the freedom from duty that we would lose in a covenantal relationship with God and a spouse. Let me give you another thing. Not only freedom from duty, but freedom in direction. Freedom in direction, number two. Freedom in direction. 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you do separate for a season, of, it should only be for a season, And the moment that you begin to realize, I am now wanting to fulfill a God-given drive in a God-forbidden way, you immediately go back to your spouse. You don't entertain emotional affairs with other people. That emotional level of intimacy is only for your spouse. You say, well, that's the problem. We don't have it then you've got to keep praying, and you've got to go through counseling, and they've got to go through ca- and you get it back. But you, you, you don't go fulfill it with other people because an emotional affair will lead to a physical encounter. You've got to be careful. To marry someone is to give your life to them. That's what he's saying here in this text. This is a big deal. You're, you're no longer known only by yourself. Now you are the one with a spouse. You're a husband and wife. Husbands love your wife the way Christ loved the church, sacrificially. Wives come under the headship of your husband the same way the church submits to Christ, who is the head. When you're single, you have full responsibility and freedom for your life. When you become married, you have a shared responsibility with unique functions for the husband and wife. In singleness, your only head is Christ. In the marriage relationship, The man is submitting to Christ, and the woman is submitting to Christ, but she also comes under the headship of that man. When you're single, you direct your own plans. When you become a couple, you really become a steward of a joint venture. No longer is it you just dreaming up the vision for what you want to do in your future. Now you have to sit with your spouse, and the two of you together dream up the future vision. I remember shortly after Irene and I were married. I mean just a few months after uh, not even months really, it was r- much quicker than that. Uh, my my routine as a single uh, was to go and play. I was 25, I was single until I was what 24, 25, 26, 26. So I had developed some single habits, you know. I mean, I had my life, man. I loved it. I had one of my things I did was, after church ministry all day long, in the evening, I would head over to Garden Lakes uh, uh, basketball courts and play hoops. And I got a good workout. I met people from the community. I used to play with Tim Raines, a baseball player, another, Gary Carter, and a few of those guys. We'd play basketball. It was wonderful, and I got to be a witness to some guys. It was a wonderful thing, and I went over and did that. After I was married, I just went straight over to the Garden Lakes and started playing hoops and had a great time, got home about 8.30 at night, and Rini's looking at me like, where were you? Now, this is before cell phones, tells you how old I am, and uh, I said, well, what do you mean? I was playing basketball. I always do that on Thursday nights. Uh, Excuse me, I had no clue what you were doing. All of a sudden, I realized life is different now, and it wasn't that she was saying I can't go and play basketball in the evening. It's that I need to know what's going on, We've got to be on the same page, bud. Amen? (laughs) Oh, the things you learn when you first get married. And you're learning about yourself. (laughs) Once you move out of your parents' home, you no longer have to follow them. You're now simply following God as a single. God is the one who directs you and guides you. It's much easier to follow God and his leading as a single person than a married person. That's because when you're married, following God affects other people. Coming to Vero from Palm Beach Gardens brought significant pain for our family. My kids, Morgan was entering her junior year of high school. She was very involved at Palm Beach Gardens High School. She was on the performance dance team. She had friends coming out the wazoo. She'd bring them to youth group every Wednesday night. She had tons of kids coming to youth group. And then Mark was entering ninth grade he's going into high school. Andy was a fourth grader. Here she is over here with our little grandson right now. You know, it's kind of cool. But Andy had to give up her little dog because that dog was going crazy, man, in a new home, a new environment, and was just nervous as it could be. It was eating the baseboards off the wall. We had to give the dog up. It was great pain, great sacrifice in the lives of our children just to, Move a family. If I were a single guy coming up, no big deal, right? Find a place to live, sleep under a tree, get a give me a hammock. I'm good to go. Not the way with a family. Thirdly, freedom and devotion. Freedom from duty, freedom in direction, freedom in devotion. Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, very single. That means vir- you're, you're 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 a virgin. A betrothed is a virgin person in the Bible. It means that you have already, you're committed to marrying someone, and in every way except for physical intimacy, you are acting as a couple. That was Mary and Joseph, but there was no physical intimacy, okay? It says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy, So in New Testament time, when a single began to think about the physical relationships with another and the hormones started raging, they would remember the teaching of the duties and responsibilities to their spouse, the purity, the protection, the provision. Um, And and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I can wait. I'm not going to enter into a physical intimacy, intimacy. Today we chase after the physical relationship and give no thought to the purity, protection, and provision that God's designed. The greatest responsibility that we have in is to christ so in this area singles those of you who are single listen in this area you can do more than married folk you have more time to give to god you have a freedom in your devotion to christ that a married couple doesn't have if you're single it should not be that you're single so that you can live for yourself and your own fleshly desires if you're a christian and you're single It's so that you might be able to serve the Lord even greater than a married couple can serve the Lord. And church, let me just say this to the married couples. Stop looking at singles as if they're inadequate to serve the Lord. They have ways to serve the Lord that you can't. We should celebrate them in the church. Amen? Verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Hear that Married folk, if you're bound to a wife, do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. If you don't have a wife and you're not pining for physical intimacy, don't get married. At least not now. Wait until there's a desire for that. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Paul's saying, hey, when you get married, it's going to bring a whole other set of issues and problems into your life. It's hard to be one when you're two individuals. That's a new ballgame. Paul's saying, you're better off being single because it's more work, and trouble will come your way when you're married. I don't know why it is that we think that if I get married in the church, that somehow life's just going to be so easy. Now, if you've been married, you know that's not true. Marriage is tough, man. It's hard. It's work. Because you're having to obey Scripture. You're having to let God lead you in that relationship with that person. And there's moments where you think that person's going to have some green stuff coming out of their mouth, and their head's going to start spinning. You know, who am I married to? Who is this person? That's just the reality of it. We, 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 we get tested by each other, but all of that should lead to a greater faith in God. It strengthens us in the Word of God to trust the promises of God. It causes me to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. It causes her to come under His headship. It's it. You learn to be married. Marriage is not, you know, people. Oh, it's just. It, you watch these couples come in for marriage counseling, and man, they're like octopus. They are just sitting next to each other, got their hands all over each other. They just are so excited to get married. And then all of a sudden, you know, 15 years later, you are coming in, and she sits way over here and he sits way over there. And that's the difference between feeling marriage and learning marriage. Every day I live, I'm learning from my wife. Every day. And every day that she lives, she is to learn from me. It's a learning experience to be married. And what's critical is that you stay committed to each other no matter how hard the learning process is. You don't abandon ship when it gets tough. You stay in it. But but a single person doesn't have to think about any of that. So single folk, enjoy the moment. And those of you who are called to singleness, and Paul actually sees it as a gift of God. Oh, we celebrate with you. We need you here. You thank God for you. You have the same giftings, the same spiritual hunger that a married person can have. It's no different. And you have more time to serve than married couples, which is pretty cool. Don't worry about that. That's my Is that my grandson? Oh, okay. Somebody We love babies in this church. We don't we don't get upset when we hear babies. That's right. Okay, verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Whether you're married, remain married. If you're single, remain single. But let's go further here, verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none and those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it for the present form of this world is passing away in other words what paul is saying he's reminding married people and single people of this important fact god is on a timetable right now now think about that God is infinite God is not bound by time or space yet God has set a timetable for what for his return for the Son of God the Messiah to return But if you do marry, verse 28, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Now, listen, let me just say this. We only have a certain amount of time to serve the Lord before he returns. If you're married, maximize the time together. If you're single, maximize your time to serve the Lord. And if you're single, you're going to have more time than a married couple. Just a reality, because married people have to take care of each other. They got to take care of the kids. They've got responsibilities that you don't have. The word trouble here, when he says, uh, "If you're married, it, yet those who marry will will have worldly troubles," uh, the word trouble in the Greek, it it creates two pictures in the original language. Number one, that a, it's a picture of a woman giving labor. There's going to be pain in marriage. Some of you are saying, well, that's why I want to get out, because I just did not sign up for that. Excuse me, God told you beforehand it was going to be there. Stop acting like a little baby, grow up, stay in your marriage, and learn. Let God teach you, Let, let God grow you into a person that you've never been, but oh, how beautiful you will be, and how much glory you will bring to God by how you treat your spouse yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. The the second the second picture is grapes in a wine press. Grapes are wonderful, you know to eat them, they're sweet and whatever. But but to get the wine you have to put them in a wine press and then they they turn and the press comes down on the grape and it squeezes everything out of the that's marriage. Whatever you are right now as sweet as you are. <laughs> As sweet as you are right now, God has in store something even far better in your marriage. But you got to let the wine press do its work. Okay? (laughs) Do I have an amen? This is tough stuff, man. We spend so much time engaging in the lives of our family yet a single person doesn't and and that's one thing but you ought to be spending time if you're married with your spouse growing learning moving forward verse 32 freedom from distraction the last and now it's very short point Freedom from distraction. So there's freedom from duty, freedom in direction, freedom in devotion, freedom from distraction. This is this is the life of a single, okay, that we're talking about. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The married man, he's got to be anxious about the, 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 the spouse. He's got to be anxious about the children. There's worries in being a father, is there not? Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how when you come into worries as a father, that you bring the family together and you pray together as a family. Don't just try to give them this picture that you can handle it. That's, that's the worst picture that a father can give his children, that he never prays with them about problems, that he only shuts up and gets silent and pulls his bootstraps up and gets it done. That is the wrong picture. Your child, your children need to grow up knowing that my daddy, my daddy leaned on his father, Father God. My daddy taught us it's important when trials come and anxieties roll in that we will seek the Lord and let God help us through the trial. Amen? Amen. That's, a healthy, that's a healthy environment for a child to grow up in. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Now, when he says worldly there, he's not saying, meaning these are bad things. He's saying that they're just part of life. They're secular. They're not spiritual. A woman needs to be cared for. There's things she needs. And you, that's, what, that's your concern, not necessarily giving all your time to serve the Lord. Although, as a married person, you are to serve the Lord. It's not a release from that. It's just that the single person has more time to do it. Verse 34, and his interests are divided when you're married. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So where you don't have to focus on your spouse, devote time to the Lord. When you don't, where you don't have to give time for your children, you devote that time to the Lord. And by the way, you say, well, wife and kids, that takes all my time. Let me just say this to you. You have just enough time each day to do God's will no way that God would have a will for you that you just cannot do. And his will is more than just loving your wife or loving your husband or loving your children. His will includes loving him first and foremost. Let me tell you the order. Here it is. It's God. I love God first. This is what the scripture teaches. I love my spouse next. I love my children next. If you're living for your kids and that's your, that's the love of your life, you're wrong. Children were never designed by God to be the center of the universe in the home. They were designed to be a welcomed addition to the home. But those kids need to grow up knowing that really it starts with mom and dad. You say, "How do I do that?" I'll tell you how you do it. When you come home from work tired and weary, rather than go right into children's business, honey, you need to spank such and such. You need to get out. He was terrible. Okay, rather than start there, mom and dad exit the room and go to a quiet place. Farina and I was sitting out on the, on the swing in the backyard by the pool when our kids were little. When I'd come home, I'd greet the kids, love on them, okay, and then, hey, give mom and dad some time. We'd go out, we'd sit for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and our kids would look through the window and see us. <laughs> Just waiting for the time when we'd come back in. And then we would come back in and minister to the kids. What did they see? What did they learn? They learned that the relationship between mom and dad is very important in the family. Not that the kids are first, but that God is first, and that the spouse is second, then the children, and then work. Work, career, look here, folks, number four on the list, you have just enough time each day to do God's will. Let's close with prayer. Father, I want to thank you for those in this room that are married, and we thank you for those who are single. In that broad spectrum of singleness, those who never desire to be married and those who are pining after marriage and everything in between, we thank you for our singles in our church. We want to choose to be a healthy church family by, by recognizing how God has created people uniquely. And that we as the body of Christ are to celebrate everybody. The married, the unmarried, the young, the older, the widows and widowers. We celebrate everyone in our church. The children of our church, we celebrate them. There is a place at your beautiful table where a feast has been laid out. The, the, just you, you, you sit us at this table with all the riches and the blessings of life. And then you say, take and eat. Eat. I want you at my table. I want you to eat until you're filled. And there's not a single person who is to stand behind a person sitting at the table. Everybody has a place at the table. Everybody matters to you, Father. Thank you for your teaching from the Word of God today. I pray that we will see everyone valuable and unique. And we will celebrate where they are in life, and not press them into an expectation that the world has created. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, let's take uh, uh, thirty. we're say thirty minutes, but I'd say after twenty minutes, go ahead and make your way back into the worship center. Those who are members of the church who've gone through the uh, membership class, the, the first step class, you'll be the ones voting. If you're not voting, You can stay, but just sit towards the back, if you will. Those voting members sit towards the front, and we'll have a quick meeting, and uh, God bless you.